بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله خير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار Over the past few lessons we looked at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and the impact that this treaty had on the ability of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to make da'wah to Allah without having to face any hostilities from the mushrikun. And so this was from the uh, great benefits of this treaty which uh, the companions were not able to foresee. Uh, but the benefits of this uh, treaty, uh, even though it seemed at the time that it was uh, detrimental to the Muslims and it was completely one-sided in the favor of the mushrikun in actual fact in actual reality it was a great blessing for the Muslims and so this treaty allowed the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to begin calling uh, the different nations uh, the different leaders the different rulers uh, whether in the rulers of Persia or Rome or Egypt Oman, Yemen, to start calling them to the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on the terms of the treaty, there would be no hostility. Not for 10 years. There was a, a truce and agreement for no war for 10 years. So this allowed the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as we said, to uh, invite to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now remember that the Treaty of Hudaybiyah itself was on the back of, uh, came after the battle of the Ahzab, the battle of the uh, Confederates. And this was when uh, some inhabitants of Medina, from the Yahud, they went to the Quraysh in Mecca, and they instigated them against the Messenger of Allah wasallam, And likewise, they instigated certain tribes uh, from towards the east, which is nudged, instigated them as well, and so this, you know, this 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 gave rise to what became the Battle of the Ahzab, and so this really was treachery on behalf of those people because they were in a covenant, in an agreement uh, with the rest of the inhabitants of Medina, the Muslims, the Mushrikun, and the Yahud, and so they acted treacherously uh, in that regard. And they tried to destroy the fledgling Muslim uh, community. But all of that failed. Walhamdulillah. And so after that came the uh, Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And after this now comes the issue of uh, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, having neutralized the Quraysh. Because the, the Battle of the Ahzab and likewise the Treaty of Hudaybiyah the consequence of that was that the that the that this coalition remember the coalition who came together to attack the muslims in medina the coalition of the quraysh and likewise the uh, yahud in medina and likewise some of the tribes from the eastern region when we go towards najd and that area there was a series of tribes all of these three groups formed a coalition this coalition was against the Muslims in Medina. So let's take each of these three in turn. The first of them, who are the Quraysh, the Mushriks of, of Quraysh, they were effectively neutralized by way of the Treaty of Al-Hudaybiyah. So this means now that the, 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 the Quraysh, they are not able to engage in any hostilities against the Messenger of Allah and the companions. So this part of the coalition has been effectively dealt with. But there are still two parties left. The party of the Yahud 
and the party of the, the various tribes from the Najd region. And because they were still you know, on the loose, so to speak, after the uh, battle of the trench or the battle of the Ahzab, then it is from justice, it is from justice, and likewise it is from military um, sense that those parties who waged a war and who try to destroy your uh, society, your community, that in order to prevent them in the future from engaging in such hostilities, that they have to be brought to justice for the previous hostilities that they engaged in. And so it is in this context that we come to uh, the issue of the Battle of Khaybar. The Battle of Khaybar was a region roughly around 60 to 70 miles uh, north of, of Medina. And it was a, the place where the Yahud were resident. They had many different uh, you know, fortresses, different settlements. And these Yahud from this area, they were the ones who basically instigated many things against the Messenger of Allah For example, they instigated the Bani Quraidah, you know, to, to be hostile and to be treacherous towards the Messenger of Allah Likewise, they instigated the Quraysh in Mecca. Likewise, they instigated the Ghatfan tribe, which is from Najd, to engage in the battle, the battle of the trench, the battle of the Ahazab. So all of these actions came from the Yahud of Khaybar, and so this was afflictions that were coming from that direction. So it was from justice and military sense that these uh, tribes or these instigators who are still on the loose, that their hostility and their violence and their treachery be contained. And so it's from this angle that we enter into the issue of the battle of Khaybar. And so the messenger of Allah he saw that a military campaign to repel their aggression, to establish justice, and to remove any hostility that would prevent the call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from taking its course, then he decided to engage in a military campaign. And so as we mentioned before many times in, in these lessons, that often you will see that, the, that, that those with hatred and venom in their hearts towards Islam, towards the Messenger of Allah uh, you see that they will utilize these incidents that we see, these military campaigns, these battles that were, that were waged, and they make it look as if the Messenger of Allah and the companions were nothing but raiders who were just raiding towns and villages and acquiring booty and wealth and riches and gold and silver and camels and this all of this is, is, is kadib, all of this is, is a lie because there is a history and a context to every single battle that took place. And of course it begins with the Quraysh, you know, attempting to assassinate the Messenger of Allah the Messenger effectively being expelled or have being forced to leave Mecca. Likewise the Muslims being forced to leave and abandon their wealth, their wealth confiscated and abandoned and, and kicked out or killed, tortured, oppressed, and so on and so forth, everything returns back to that initial oppression and injustice. And so these things cannot be separated and they have to be looked at in terms of the overall picture. And we've also mentioned many times as well, that in, in, in many of the battles that we looked at, that, uh, that all of these injustices that took place, if you take any nation or you take any leader or any society, who would suffer the same injustices, you would see that same society, that same leader, that same nation, taking exactly the same steps to establish what is justice. The, the, you know, this justice on account of which war is waged. And so, when we go through these examples of these battles that take place, as we said before, that we're not shy to discuss these issues, we have nothing to hide about these issues, and all of these issues would be perfectly understood militarily, by the brightest military minds in, 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 in the world. And they wouldn't deny or reject that these battles were done for a purpose and a wisdom that serves the interests 
of that particular party. So we don't have any, as, as I said, we're not shy to discuss these issues. There's nothing for which these issues can be criticized. And so we discuss them openly and clearly. And so in this regard, regarding Khaybar and capturing Khaybar, for the reasons that were mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentioned in the Quran and many of the Mufassirun, they explain that this ayah was revealed in relation to the battle of Khaybar. And likewise the treaty of Hudaybiyah. And this is in Surah Al-Fatih, the 48th Surah, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said, وَعَدَكُمُ اللَّهُ مَغَانِمَ كَثِيرَةِ تَأْخُذُونَهَا فَعَجَّلَ لَكُمْ حَاذِهِ Allah says that Allah promised you many abundant spoils, the spoils of war, that you will capture, and He has hastened this for you. He has hastened this for you. And so the Mufassireen, they say that this is a reference to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and likewise, the Battle of Khaybar, or in particular, particular the Surrender of Khaybar. The Surrender of Khaybar. And so, the Messenger of Allah, he decided to engage in this battle, and to take Khaybar for the reasons that we discussed, in order to remove hostility, and to remove this hostile climate which existed, that led to treachery, battles, wars, assassinations. This had to be removed in order to allow the da'wah to Allah to proceed uh, upon its course. And so when the Messenger of Allah, when he, when he uh, informed the Muslims of this battle, he made an announcement. And he said that in this battle, there will not be any spoils. So whoever wants to join this battle, it will be purely and only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this announcement was to preempt the hypocrites. Because the hypocrites were still lurking. In fact, the hypocrites are a separate party, another party hidden amongst the various, you know, amongst the, amongst the mushrikun, amongst the yahud. Right? So the hypocrites are, are a separate party. So in order to uh, ensure that only those who are seeking the face of Allah and that those hypocrites who may come along and act treacherously to preempt them, he announced that this Battle is only for the sake of Allah and not for any spoils of war. And so, in this regard, uh, there were uh, 1400 people responded, and they were the people who uh, were the ones uh, who had sworn allegiance uh, to him. And so, this ensured that there were no hypocrites, and everyone who was engaged in this battle would be someone who is sincerely seeking the, seeking the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as the messenger left with this army, he left one of the sahaba by the name of Siba' bin Artafa al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu to keep uh, in charge of the affairs in Medina. And around the same time was when Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he accepted Islam. Abu Huraira is the greatest narrator of the hadith of the messenger of Allah he was a young uh, boy, and so he accepted Islam around this uh, time. And the reason why we know the date of this battle is because we know that Abu Huraira was from those who accepted Islam in this time period, and he was also involved in this, in this, you know, in this uh, battle. So therefore, it had to be around seven after Hijrah, right at the beginning of the seventh year of Hijrah, around Muharram, you know, seventh year of Hijrah. So, um, as soon as this army was mobilized, the hypocrites, of course, realized what was taking place, and they took you know, note of these uh, intentions of the Muslims, and they immediately began to inform the Yahud of Khaybar, that Muhammad and his army uh, will, will be approaching and coming in your direction. And so, Abdullah bin Ubay, the chief of the hypocrites, uh, he sent an envoy to the Jews of Khaybar, uh, warning them and telling them to resist the Muslims. Don't give in, don't surrender, because you far outnumber the Muslims. So stand your ground, stand against them, and don't be unnerved. And so uh, what happened is that the Yahud, uh, they heard this news, and then they in turn 
dispatched some envoys to go to another group of people who are the people from Najd, which is the tribe of Ghatafan. If you remember from previous lessons, that this tribe was involved in hostilities against uh, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu uh, both during the battle of the confederates and, and likewise afterwards as well. So because they were allies of each other, the Yahud sent envoys to them and requesting some military assistance. And they said that if you agree to help us against Muhammad, then we will give you half of the produce of Khaybar. Because Khaybar was a very fertile land, and they used to harvest the land and, and make produce and sell produce. So they agreed that we will give you half of the yield of fruit if you come and you defend us against the Muslimin. So anyhow, the Messenger of Allah he marched uh, in, in a certain direction and eventually he came to a valley, a valley of Ar-Raji' and he encamped between Khaybar itself and between Ghatfan, the, 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 the tribe of Ghatfan. And so the reason why he did this was so to, was basically to prevent reinforcements from this tribe, from Ghatfan, from reaching the Yahud of Khaybar. So he camped right in, in between the, the route of travel from Ghatfan to uh, the people of Khaybar. Now, there was some... Before we understand the battle of Khaybar itself, we have to understand how Khaybar itself was arranged and organized. Because Khaybar... Uh, was a place that had many different fortresses. And there were basically two different regions, two main areas, and in those areas were a series of fortresses. So the first region, uh, in the first region, there was, uh, in fact, before we come to the fortresses, uh, there, there, there were two parts, there were five forts in one area, and there were three forts in another area. And obviously, we need to uh, understand this to see how the battle actually progressed and how Khaybar was eventually taken. But before we come to that, uh, as the Muslims they came, as they came and they marched towards Khaybar, we see in the narrations, uh, for example, from Salah bin al-Aqwa, who said that we marched to Khaybar with the Messenger of Allah and we journeyed during the night. And one of the men said to my brother, who was called Amir, he said, why don't you recite some of your verses, recite some poetry. And so Amir, he recited some of the poetry and you know the rough translation of which is that by Allah, O oh Allah, if you had not guided us, we would have neither been guided rightly, nor practiced charity, nor offered any prayers. Had you not guided us? We wish to lay down our lives for you. So, give, so forgive you our sins, our shortcomings, and keep us steadfast when we encounter the enemies. Bestow upon us peace and tranquility. Behold, when with a cry they called upon us to help. And so these lines of poetry were being uh, mentioned by Amir, and they gave tranquility to the people, and likewise to the, to the camels, to, you know, to urge the camels. And the messenger of Allah heard this, and he said, Who is this person? Who is the one who is driving the camels in this way, and in, encouraging the camels in this way? And so it was said it was Amir, and so the Messenger of Allah he made dua for Amir and he said, Allah will show mercy to him. Allah will show mercy to him. And upon hearing this, a man said, martyrdom has been reserved for him. And the man said, um, you know, so, so the Prophet's companions, they, they, they knew that when the Messenger made a dua such as this, and a supplication such as this, then it meant that this companion has been singled out for martyrdom. So the companions understood this. Likewise, on the way to the valley, <coughs> as they came to this valley, uh, uh, another narration that is related by Al-Bukhari, is that the, that the Muslims began to shout out loudly, saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, making dhikr in a, in, in a very loud way. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, to lower your voices. Lower your voices, for indeed the one whom you are invoking is neither absent nor is he deaf. Rather he is close to you and he is all hearing. So he told them to lower their voices. And likewise in another incident, um, 
in a place where they alighted not far away from Khaybar, the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi uh, he made the Asr prayer, and then he called his companions to bring whatever food they had. And the food was very scant. Everyone had just a tiny amount of food, and it was nowhere near to satisfy everybody. So one of the miracles that is related from the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi is that he took it by his hand, and the food grew in quantity, and they all ate to their fill. And this is from the many miracles that are related in you know, situations such as these. Now the following morning is when the encounter took place, or the initial encounter. And so the Muslims, as they approached Khaybar, uh, the Yahud at that time had come out with their axes and you know, with their spades and strings. And this was just to engage in their day-to-day uh, agricultural activities. Why? Because they used to uh, till the land. So as they came out, ready to embark upon their you know, daily uh, enterprise, uh, they saw the Messenger of Allah and they saw the companions with him. So immediately they began to shout, you know, alarmed, Muhammad has come with his force. And the Messenger of Allah he said, Allahu Akbar, ya Allahu Akbar, uh, that, you know, when we, when we descend into the city center, Khaybar shall be taken, Khaybar you know, will, will be taken. It will be a bad day for those who have been warned and who remain behind, who have not taken heed. So the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi uh, he had chosen a, a certain plot of land where he was going to administer the, the army and you know the headquarters basically. And one of the... Um, Companions, whose name was Hubab bin al-Munzir, he was an expert in the affairs of battle and, and military you know, strategies. And so he advised the Messenger of Allah that there's another area we should shift to. It will be better for waging uh, the war. And so this was agreed and they shifted to another place. And then the Messenger of Allah as they approached Khaybar, he began to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to the effect of as we uh, see in some of the narrations that, O oh Allah, Lord of the seven heavens and what they contain, O oh Lord of the seven heavens and what lies in the wombs, Lord of the devils and whomever they have led astray, we beseech you to grant us the good of this village, the good of its inhabitants, and the good that lies within it. And we seek refuge with you from the evil of this village, the evil of its inhabitants, and the evil that lies in it. And then he began marching, he ordered, now march towards the village, in the name of Allah, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. The banner that was going to be used for this battle, the Messenger said, it would be entrusted to a man who loves Allah and Allah loves him. Who loves Allah and his Messenger and they love him. And so all the Muslims began to come forward hoping that he would be that man who would receive the banner. Why? Because that was effectively a dua that was made by the messenger of Allah for whoever would receive the banner. And it turned out that the messenger of Allah he called for Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. Now, the eyes of Ali bin Abi Talib had been suffering, they'd been harmed or used to hurt. And so the messenger of Allah he took some of his saliva and put it on his eyes and invoked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a result of which his ailment was immediately cured. And so he took the standard, the flag, you know, the, the, the flag for the army, the standard for the, for the flag, and he pledged, Ali bin Abi Talib, he pledged that he would fight uh, until, you know, they embraced uh, Islam, or there was victory. And the messenger of Allah, this is where the, the messenger of Allah, he gave him that advice, that famous advice that we see often mentioned, he said to him in the hadith which is narrated in, in Al-Bukhari, take things easy and invite them to accept Islam. And invite them to, to accept Islam. For indeed, I swear, by, I swear by Allah, by Allah, that Allah should guide through you a single man, that Allah should guide through you a single man, is better for you than the best form of treasure, which, you know, which would be you know, the, 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 the red camel, the most prized treasure and the possession. That it is better than you, than the most prized, is better for you, than the most prized possession. And so this is an 
a hadith, an indication, uh, within which there's an indication, as the scholars explain, the great virtues of calling others to Allah, calling others to Islam, calling others to the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of the great, huge reward that it entails in saving a person from the hellfire and entering him into you know, Allah's pleasure, Allah's forgiveness, Allah's mercy. And so, Khaybar itself, as we mentioned, was split into two parts. There were five castles in the first. The names, uh, Naim, Sa'ab, uh, Sa'ab bin Mu'adh, the castle of Az-Zubair, the castle of Abi, and the castle of Al-Nizar. This was in an area called Ash-Shiqa. And there was another area where there were three fortresses, Al-Qamus, Al-Watih, and Al-Salalim. So keeping this in mind, that this battle was essentially a battle of besieging each fortress one by one. And it was, it, was, it was a matter of time to besiege the fortress and to see how long the inhabitants can handle being besieged until they gave up and they surrendered. So this was a general strategy. So the messenger of Allah he began by going to the smaller fortresses rather than the larger ones. Why? Because the smaller ones would be the easiest ones to, to basically take. And so the first, first fortress he attacked was in that area which had the five fortresses. And so in that uh, area, the, the fortress of Naim. And so the first defense line was a you know, strategic position. There was a person who was the leader of the fort called Marhab. His name was Marhab. And so he came and he invited one of the Muslims by the name of Amr bin al-Akwa. He challenged him to a duel. Come, let us fight. And so Amr bin al-Akwa, he agreed. And when Amr, as he was fighting, he struck his opponent. The sword rebounded and hit his own uh, leg or his knee. And he subsequently died from that wound. That knee obviously disabled him and he was you know, subsequently, subsequently killed uh, as a result of that wound. And the messenger of Islam, he made dua for Amir. Remember he was the, the man who was making the uh, poetry to you know, encourage the camels. And the, and the, so this man, he died and he died as a martyr. Then Ali bin Abi Talib, he undertook to meet the same individual marhab. From the, uh, from the Yahud, and he fought, and he defeated him, he managed to kill him. And then another person turned up, he was called Yasir, and he was the brother of Marhab. And he likewise turned up, challenging the Muslimin to fight. This time, Az-Zubair, radiallahu anhu, came to the challenge, and he fought him, and defeated him on the spot. After these initial encounters, large-scale fighting erupted between the two parties. And this fighting continued for a number of days. Continued for a number of days. And in reality, the Yahud showed a great deal of courage to stand their ground. And, you know, they, they proved to be a formidable enemy, even to the experienced Muslim soldiers who had behind them many, many battles. The Battle of the Trench, the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of Badr, and many other battles in between. They were, they were essentially veterans in battle. So they proved to be a formidable uh, army. Now, over time, they realized, even though they put up a, 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 a strong resistance, they realized that it's futile in the long term to keep showing this resistance because they will be beaten. And so in trying to cut the losses, they basically began to abandon their possessions and they left this fortress and they then moved to another fortress. Right? So this fortress was now captured. And they moved to another fortress by the name of As-Sa'ab. So now the Muslims moved to, towards this second fortress. And the, the, the leader, Al-Hubab bin Al-Munzir Al-Ansari, one of the, 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 the companions, he now led the attack on this particular fortress. And he laid a siege around it for three days. After which the Muslims, the, the siege was successful. And the Muslims stored it, and as a result, they stormed it, and they took a booty, provisions, food, and so on and so forth, which was obviously very, very uh, beneficial uh, to them. Now, during this war, 
as you can imagine, the Muslims came with little provisions, and they were had to, uh, to 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 compensate for this. They lit fires and they began to sacrifice the domestic donkeys, the domestic donkeys, and cook them in order to use them for food. And this was when the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he inquired, you know, what are they cooking? And they said that we are cooking the, 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 the you know the the, 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 the the meat, the flesh of donkeys. This is when he ordered them, this is when it was made unlawful. He ordered them to throw out, to, to stop the cooking pots, throw away the meat and wash the cooking pots, and he forbade the practice of eating the meat of donkeys or, or domestic donkeys. <coughs> now meanwhile, as the so this was another incident which took place during this battle. Now meanwhile the Yahud they evacuated a certain area, and they barricaded themselves in another fort, which is the fort of Az-Zubair. And this was a very strong defensive position where you couldn't take any cavalry, you couldn't take any camels or any you know, horseback. And likewise, even to the infantry, even to the soldiers, it was like a difficult place because of rocks and things like this to get to. Now again, the Muslims, they besieged, they surrounded this particular fortress for a, another three days. And um, there was a spy from the Yahud, he came, or an informant, and he came and he informed the Messenger of Allah about a source of water that was coming into this fortress, which if it was blocked, it would force the inhabitants to basically surrender. And so... Uh, the Messenger did exactly as he was uh, advised. And this would, the reason why he did this was to force the Yahud in that fortress to come out and engage in a man-to-man battle. And so what happened is that some of the uh, Yahud, about 10 of them, they came. And uh, in, in the battle, there were about 10 uh, Yahud were killed. But eventually the fort was conquered because it was likewise abandoned. So you can see that all of these forts, one by one, they are being besieged and taken, and the inhabitants are leaving and taking refuge in another fort. Now after this battle, after this particular battle, the Yahud moved to a fourth fortress in that region called the Abi Castle. And once again, they barricaded themselves inside. We see the same events took place. The Muslims besieged that place. And this was when one of the... Uh, well-known famous fighters by the name of Abu Dujana, Abu, D- Abu Dujana Samak bin Kharsha bin Kharsha al-Ansari. Uh, he was known to have a, a red ribbon. He led the Muslim army. He broke into the castle itself and he led a fierce military operation and eventually he forced the, the enemy, the, the inhabitants, to flee with their lives into the final fort, which is the fort of Al-Nizar. Al-Nizar. So now this was the most powerful fort. And they, the, the Yahud had a firm conviction that we will not be defeated in this fort. Because this fort is too strong, too powerful, it cannot be stormed. And they seemed, they, 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 they believed that they were safe, you know, in, in, it was a safe place for the children and the women. And so they, they, they locked themselves into this fort. Now the Muslims, um, what happened was that the Yahud were, were unwilling to come out and fight one-to-one in a battle. So what they did was they used their superior position of the fortress being high and overlooking. They began to pelt stones and arrows and you know, uh, so on and so forth. So the Prophet ﷺ, he ordered that battering rams be used to enter or to, or to weaken the fort and to somehow enter the fort. Now what happened is that these battering rams, they proved effective and eventually uh, some uh, walls were compromised, there were cracks that were made and eventually it led to an easy access into the very heart of the fort. As soon as they entered into the fort, the Yahud, they fled in every direction and they left their women and their children behind. Now with all of these five fortresses basically taken over and conquered, this was one region of Khaybar that was completely uh, sealed off. Meaning that they had, the Muslims had taken this whole region 
And this now left the second region, which had three fortresses. And this was now the second part of the campaign. This was the first part of the campaign, successful. Now we are moving to the second part of the campaign in the second region, which was uh, in the second region. Now, the Prophet Sallallahu uh, he now moved to the second region, the second area. Uh, the first area was called Ashiqa, and this area was called Al-Katiba. Again, he laid a heavy siege, which lasted around 14 days. Uh, again, the Yahud, they barricaded themselves inside the fortresses. And as soon as the Messenger of Allah, he was about to use the battering rams again, as a strategy, as soon as he was about to use them, the Yahud realized that we've got no chance like we had no chance in the fortress of Al-Nizar. So, immediately, they asked for a negotiable peace treaty. That we want to have peace, and we are willing to negotiate, and we will you know, come out of the fort. And you know, So, at this point, the historians, there is uh, an issue, it's, it's a, a controversial, uh, some controversy about what really happened here, and uh, the, the question is that was... Were the remaining three forts of Khaybar conquered by force? Or was there an actual treaty? And, you know, or were the fortresses taken by peace negotiations? And so there's an issue that is, that is, that is discussed. Um, but, you know, it's discussed amongst the uh, historians. And it is said that one of the forts were, 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 were conquered by fighting. And the remaining two forts, they surrendered without fighting. So meaning that there was some negotiation that was uh, involved in the surrender of the, the, the two forts. So anyhow, the individual sent to negotiate with the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was a person from the Yahud by the name of Ibn Abi Al-Huqiq. And he came and he wanted to negotiate the surrender treaty. And so the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, he agreed to spare their lives on the condition that they evacuate Khaybar, they leave Khaybar and the adjacent land. And whatever possessions they had, the riches that they had with them, from the gold, the silver and other things, that they would leave those possessions. And the Messenger of Allah he made it clear that if these conditions are not left, if you don't stick to these commitments and agree to these terms, then the agreement will be overturned. Right, so the agreement was basically reached that we will abandon and leave all of these positions and uh, possessions and fortresses and everything. We will we will just be on our way and go to some some other place. And so when this happened, the Muslims uh, came and they took over the forts and they brought it under control. However, the treaty was broken. The agreement that was made was broken. Why? Because this individual, the envoy who came, some of his sons they conceal some possessions, some valuable possessions, some jewels and some money and other things of that nature. And um, they'd hidden other things as well. And so this was an act of dishonesty. It was an act of treachery to the covenant. And so for that reason, um, uh, the, the, the individuals concerned were meted out with justice. And Sophia who was the daughter of one of these individuals who acted treacherously, she was taken captive, Safiya. Now, we come back to the issue of the spoils, the distribution of the spoils, the spoils of war, the, 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 the booty that was captured. And so in accordance with the treaty, the Yahud were allowed to evacuate Khaybar, and they would be spared. But they realized that Khaybar was a very fertile land. And their livelihood depended upon cultivating this land. So they put forward a suggestion to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa Why? Because they were anxious to keep on cultivating the land. And so they said, because the, the, the orchards of Khaybar were actually famous, they were well known. So they said, they came to the Messenger of Allah, they approached him and they said, that if you allow us to cultivate this land, we would give half the produce to you, the Muslimin, and we'll keep half the produce ourselves. Allow us to remain, and we'll operate on this basis. And so the Messenger of Allah Wasallam, he was kind enough to accept their request. So then this leads us to how the 
booty, the spoils of Khaybar were divided. Essentially, all of those who were involved in the, in, 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 in the fighting, the 1400 men, amongst whom were 12, 200 horsemen, everything was divided into shares. And so the horsemen were given three shares for their role in fighting. And every foot soldier was given a single share in the uh, distribution. And so these spoils that were taken at Khaybar were obviously a great amount. And it was at this time when we start seeing that the Muslimin are able to eat to the fill, which they had never done before. This is why it is narrated from Umar bin al-Khattab, radiyallahu anhu, or from Ibn Umar, afwan, who said that we never ate to our fill until we had conquered Khaybar. And likewise, Aisha radiyallahu anha, she said that now we can eat our fill of dates because of the, you know, the, the, the booty that was acquired. Um, on the way back to Medina, so now after Khaybar has been taken and they made their way back to the uh, city of Medina, uh, the Muhajirun were also able to return back, meaning the Muhajirun who had been in Abyssinia who were living under the, the, uh, Najashi. So they came back and they found all of the you know, affluence and the gifts and you know, they brought the gifts with them that they had brought with them. And so at this time was a period of great economic benefit to the inhabitants of Medina and they began to reap the benefits of that from the conquest of Khaybar. And this also coincided with Ja'far bin Abi Talib who was the messenger's cousin who had been in uh, Abyssinia upon, on, on Hijra? He then came back and you know, came back to uh, Medina and it coincided with this particular uh, moment. Um, in the same context, um, Safiya, whose husband was called, as he was from the Yahud, a husband was called Kinana bin Abi al Huqaiq. He was actually killed because of treachery and he was taken as a captive. Or sorry, he was killed for treachery and she was taken as a captive as we mentioned earlier on, the action of uh, treachery. And she was taken as a captive and brought along with other prisoners of war from Khaybar. After the permission of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there was a companion who sought permission. He sought permission to be allowed to marry her. And he was called Dihya al-Kalbi. And so he chose one of the captives, it happened to be Safiya. And the other Muslims advised that Safiya, because she was a daughter of the chief of the lead, the, the, the chief of the tribe of Bani Quraidha, Bani Quraidha, and likewise Bani Nadir, that she should be allowed to marry the Prophet because of the significance of who she was the significance of who she was. And so the messenger of Allah, he agreed to their opinion. It was their opinion, the Muslim's opinion. So he agreed, and so he invited her to Islam, and she accepted Islam, so he freed her, and he took her as, as, as his wife, uh, on her embracing Islam, radiyallahu anha. And so the wedding feast uh, consisted, and this was on the way back to Medina, and the wedding feast consisted of some dates and some butter or some fat and it was held on the way back to Medina in a place called Sadda Sahaba. Now after the conquest of Khaybar, straight after the conquest of Khaybar was when a Yahudi woman by the name of Zainab bint Al-Harith, she offered the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam a roasted sheep which she had poisoned. There was poison in the sheep. And so the Messenger of Allah Sallam, he took a mouthful and he, he took a mouthful and uh, he, it wasn't to his liking so he spat it out. And this was when the, the, the poisoning of the Messenger of Allah Sallam le, you know, it led to him uh, you know, being ill. And uh, the, after investigation the woman was found, she was brought to the Messenger of Allah Sallam, and she confessed. She said that, I, she said that you know, I'd stuffed the food with poison. And if the one who ate it was a king, he would be killed and he would die. And if he was a prophet, then he would surely learn about it. This is her, was her reasoning. 
So the Messenger of Allah he pardoned her. You know, he obviously it was a treacherous attempt. So he pardoned her. And however, later on, another companion who'd also eaten from this poisonous sheep, he actually died from as a result of that. He 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 died as a result of that. His name was Bishr bin al Bara'. Bishr bin al Bara'. Now, because he died, the Messenger of Allah he ordered that the woman be brought to justice. Why? Because of the law, because of retribution. Al Qasas. This now is the law of retribution. Because you kill somebody, then you know it's 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 a right under the law of retribution that, that that your life be taken in order to meet out justice. Now note here that she wasn't killed because she poisoned the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Why? Because the messenger of Allah he allowed her to go despite the treacherous attempt. He freed her and let her go. You are free to go on your way, but because that action led to basically it was murder, and a person lost his life, then because of the retribution then uh, retribution had to be uh, meted out. Why? Because life is inviolable. Life has sanctity. And because life was taken then from that angle to establish justice, then she was brought to justice. Now, in this whole incident of, of Khaybar, we find that the total number of people that were killed amongst the Muslimin, there were between six, about 16 or 18 of the Muslims that were killed. And amongst the Yahud, there were 93 uh, that were that were killed. Approximately 93 that were killed. Now the rest of Khaybar, as we said, Khaybar was in different regions, different areas. The two main areas were the areas where, where there, were, there were the fortresses. They all fell under the control of the Muslimin. And as a result of that, fear was put into the hearts of other tribes who were in the surrounding regions in the Khaybar area from the Yahud. And the one, one of them was a village called uh, Fadak uh, in the north of Khaybar. They immediately asked for peace and to be allowed to leave and you know, to, leave the, you know, to leave their wealth. And so the Messenger of Islam, he entered into a treaty with them similar to the previous one. And likewise, another area known as Wadi Al-Qura, which was another colony of the Yahud in, in the peninsula. Um, the Messenger of Islam, he moved towards this region. And he mobilized his forces. There were a number of different regiments. And before uh, fighting, the leaders, the Sahaba, the leaders, they invited them to accept Islam, but they refused. And so the result uh, was a battle. And as a result of that battle, um, 11 of the Yahud were killed. And um, every time one of them was killed, the Muslims extended the call accept Islam, worship Allah alone, accept Islam. And they didn't agree to it. Then another one was killed. Then they stopped and said, look, accept Islam, accept Islam. And they didn't agree to it. Then another one was killed. So after every one of those 11 were killed, they repeated the invitation for them to, to uh, accept Islam. And they, they refused. It fell on deaf ears. And so this fighting went on for a couple of days, to two days, until they made a complete surrender. And again, the land was conquered and fell to the Muslimin. Now the Messenger of Allah he remained in Wadi Al-Qura uh, for four days and he reached an agreement with the remaining Yahud similar to the agreement with those reached at, at Khaybar. Now we see that another group, the Yahud of Tayma, they also heard beforehand about the successive victories of the Muslimin and they showed no resistance whatsoever when the Messenger came to their habitation. And they agreed to have a reconciliation and have a treaty. Um, you know, to, that, that they would receive protection and that they would pay tribute in return. So from all of this, what do we, what do we see from all of this? We see from all of this that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu he set out to, to uh, on an objective on subduing Every hostile element, every hostile party, every party who had been involved in hostilities, in plots, in plans, in treachery against him and the Muslimin, to neutralize them so that he could continue calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with the battle of Khaybar and the few incidents which happened thereafter, 
this part of this goal was basically achieved. Part of this goal was basically achieved because now the Quraysh are what? They are in a treaty, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Right? So there's no battle with them, no war with them for 10 years and the Muslims are free to you know, go around and invite whomever they want to to Islam. The Yahud, they have now been effectively controlled and subdued and so this is the second element of that objective. This now leaves, um, now before we move to the third, um, the Prophet ﷺ, all of these uh, expeditions, they took a couple of months, and the Messenger ﷺ, he returned home. So this started in Muharram of the year 7 Hijrah, after Hijrah, and then he returned home in Rabi al Awal, which is or at the end of Safar, which is you know, a few months afterwards. And during this time, uh, at the same time, we, we recall that the Messenger of Allah being a military expert and a strategist, he realized that this period of time was a period in which it was prohibited to, it, it was the sanctified months, the, 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 the months in which, 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 you know, which, were, which were sanctified. And from them are Muharram, Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, in fact they come after each other, Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah and Muharram. Two months at the end of the year, and Muharram at the beginning of the year. Those three months were from the prohibited, sanctified months. And he realized that um, he couldn't leave Medina vulnerable in this period. Why? Because there were a lot of bandits and a lot of uh, desert Bedouins who would roam and they would come and they would, you know, come and plunder and loot and do all sorts of these, you know, kind of actions. So the Messenger of Allah, keeping this in mind as he went on Khaybar, he had dispatched a companion called Aban bin Sa'id at the head of a platoon to go and keep those Bedouins at bay. Right? So he left Medina, put someone in charge of Medina. At the same time, he dispatched another companion with a platoon to keep these bandits and Bedouins at bay, to keep Medina safe. And then he himself went to Khaybar. And so all of this is just uh, an indication here to show the military uh, awareness, a strength, and might and understanding of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so after Khaybar uh, was taken, Aban came back and he came back to uh, Medina. So now this leaves us to discuss um, the, 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 the final issue before we move on to uh, some other, some other uh, issues, which is the expedition of... Uh, Called, which is known as Riqa' and this was in the seventh year after Hijrah as well and so this comes after the messenger of Allah he subdued two major parties who were from the battle of the Ahzab the, the Quraysh from Mecca and likewise the Yahud of Medina this now leaves the third uh, contingent in the coalition and they were those tribes from the Najd the tribe of Ghatfan in particular and so these people need to be disciplined because they were still a threat. And, uh, you know, their, their usual practices of looting and plundering and attacking the Muslimin. So uh, these people, they were known to just live in the wilderness. They weren't like the Yahud who lived in, you know, specific places with fortresses, well built, you know, structured and so on and so forth. They were sporadic and they were you know, just living in the wilderness and dispersed in different spots and here and there. So you can imagine it was different to bring them under control. So the Messenger of Allah he was determined nevertheless to put an end to these people. And um, we find also that reports came to the Messenger of Allah that a number of different tribes were, coalition, were coming into a coalition from that region. Bani Muharib, Banu Tha'laba, they were all from the general Ghatvan tribe. And so the Messenger of Allah he went... Uh, with a group of 400 to 700 companions. And um, he left Abu, Abu Dhar, uh, Uthman, in another narration to look after uh, Medina whilst he, whilst he was away. So the Muslims went, they penetrated deep into the land until they reached this place called Nakhla, uh, where they came across the Bedouins of Ghatfan. And some fighting uh, took place. And or in fact, no fighting took place at this stage because it seemed like they wanted to have a reconciliation with the uh, Muslimin. 
And it was during this expedition, uh, the reason why this expedition received its name called Dhatul uh, Riqa' was because the companions were so severely injured in their feet and that the, even their nails were coming off that they had to use rags to tie them around their feet and so this became known as the expedition of the rugs, right? Because of the severe damage to their feet. And so it was at this point at where the companions and the messenger was some they, they stopped and they rested. The messenger was someone under a tree and he put his sword or his knife on the tree. Whilst he was resting and his eyes were closed, um, no sooner he opened his eyes than a mushrik was stood over him and in his hand was the sword he sees the sword and he said to the messenger of Allah like he'd had the sword he was stood waiting watching the messenger of Allah and so he said who will hold me back from killing you now who's going to stop me now from killing you right now I have this sword in my hand and you're at my mercy who, who's going to stop you now and so the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He said He said It is Allah It is Allah who will stop you And so when you read In another narration that the man Basically the sword Dropped from the man's hand And the messenger of Allah He took hold of it And so the man said that You know you You are the best You are the best Or you are the most worthy of the one to hold the sword the messenger of seeing his surprise and amazement, he say, he asked him to testify that none has the, to make the shahada, to testify that none has the right to worship but Allah, and that Muhammad is his messenger. But the man answered that he would never ever engage in a fight against him, nor would he ever ally with the people who would fight against him. And so the man was set free, he let him go to his people, and he went back to his people, and he told his people that this man is the, the, the best man that I've met amongst all of the people. And so, uh, we see that in any case, the battle eventually, uh, it took place, and um, the, the, the people were basically uh, taken uh, in this area, the, the Ghathfan tribe, and they were subdued, and so there's some details about the, uh, you know, about the uh, prayer there. And one of the details that I mentioned in this, in this battle, in fact, is that one of the uh, people from that tribe, uh, what had happened was that a woman had been taken prisoner in a previous battle. And the man of that woman had sworn that he will never rest until he has shed the blood of a Muslim. So he, this man came out secretly at night time and he went to where the Muslims were camped. He saw two guards camped outside the, 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 the Muslim camp. And one of them was one of them was a companion, Abad bin Bishr. And he was actually observing prayer. He was praying. So this individual he shot an arrow and he shot the, one of the men. The two men, but he shot one of them. And he was Abad bin Bishr. When the arrow hit him, he didn't stop praying, he continued praying. Then he was shot a second time. He was shot a third time, then a fourth time. Each time he didn't stop praying, he continued praying. He wouldn't interrupt his prayer. Once he'd finished his taslim, he woke his companion who was Ammar bin Yasir, radiallahu anhu. And Ammar said to him, why, you know, why, didn't you, why did you keep praying? Why didn't you wake him first? And the man said, the, 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 the companion, uh, Abad, he said, that I was halfway through a particular surah, surah of the Qur'an, which I, which I didn't want to interrupt. So I wanted to continue praying till I completed the surah. And that's why, you know, that's why I, 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 I waited. So anyhow, uh, the, the, the battle eventually took place and the Muslims were successful in subduing this group of people. And eventually these people were made too powerless to cause any harm to the inhabitants of Medina. And... Uh, eventually all of the opponents, they resigned themselves to the fact that the situation in the Arabian Peninsula has changed. The Muslims now have political strength. It is futile now to put up any resistance. And so they basically acquiesced and just accepted this fact and continued on that basis and resigned themselves. 
And many of them actually even accepted Islam. Many of them even accepted Islam. And later on they joined the Muslims in the conquest of Mecca. Likewise the battle of Hunayn. And you know this, this is what happened. Now after this, uh, after, after this uh, third containment of the third group of people who were involved in the battle of the Ahzab, there were just a few little skirmishes here and there, and short little battles here and there, nothing major. And obviously there's a list of seven or eight incidents that were mentioned of small numbers of you know, fighting, you know, 30 soldiers, 300 soldiers, just small little things here and there, nothing uh, too major. So this brings us to the end of uh, uh, today's lesson. And so today's lesson, we essentially discussed the Messenger of Allah in the wake of the Battle of the Ahzab and the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, subduing the remaining um, you know, parties of the coalition who fought against the Muslimin. Why? Because they were a danger and a threat and justice had to be meted out. And so the Messenger of he successfully, uh, successfully achieved that. And so this now leads us to the Umrah that was performed, that was part of the agreement in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, that you will not make Umrah this year, you will return, but you will come back the next year and you will be allowed to make Umrah. And so this we shall move on to inshallah ta'ala in the next lesson. And with that we conclude our lesson there today. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi. وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين